Hello everyone and welcome to another Q&A Unorthodoxy podcast. I'm Duncan Rayburn and this episode is rather fortuitously rather neat and tidy in terms of its subject matter because the whole thing hinges on the issue of spiritual practice within the Christian tradition. I got two questions from two different people that follow rather nicely on from each other so I'm going to read the questions and then dive into an answer of sorts and that is pretty much that. So the first question um, is, for the sake of brevity, I'm actually truncating the original one that I received from an email, but you'll see I think there's enough here to to work with. Why has Christianity never developed a system of physical or mental well-being like yoga or martial arts? One might include Islam and Judaism in the above question too. Islam has whirling dervishes and Judaism has something similar, but nothing compared to Hinduism, Buddhism, and no doubt countless others. Why? It seems bizarre. The word was made flesh after all, and Christianity believes in a physical resurrection. I don't get it. Why not a developed system of breathing and posture? How's that for a good first question? Uh, The second question is this. What specific practices help you with meditative prayer or connecting to God more deeply? What I like here is that uh, the second question moves rather neatly from the historical and theoretical to the more personal and practical. So let's start with the first question. First off, the question raises another question, namely, is this exactly true? Has Christianity never developed a system of physical or mental well-being similar to uh, or along the lines of yoga or martial arts? It turns out that the answer to this question is a bit more complicated than a simple yes or no, and it will certainly help us to to answer the, the first question that I've received much better if we can unpack that. Uh, and anyway, behind that question is actually another question, which is, even if this were to prove true, is it really a failing of Christianity? And I'll get to this uh, issue once I've cleared up the first bit, since this too is more complicated than you might first expect. Well, I should inform you all that my questioner knows, and he himself told me, that there are many examples in the Christian tradition of a celebration of the body. Martyrdom and the fasting of the monks come to mind, but someone like Nietzsche, who is always interesting and insightful even when he isn't entirely to be trusted, would say that such practices amount to a denial of the body or denial of life. Gnosticism has also at various points interfered in the Christian celebration of the body and that Gnostic tendency continues to cause some consternation in Christians who are prone to then become prudish and detached from bodily experience. But I think, I call this a Gnostic tendency because I think that certain people are predisposed to a kind of Gnosticism inherently. So Gnostic philosophy pretty much amounts to a a cognitive bias that arises from particular personality types. That is something that probably needs more explanation than I'm actually going to give you. So I'll just plant that thought in your head and see what you make of it. But having said all of this, The earlier in Christian tradition you go, the more you realize the importance and centrality of the body to spiritual practice. In late modernity especially, this um, emphasis on physicality seems to disappear somewhat, so that by now we have inherited rather mixed messages around what it means to embody spirituality. I say, however, that all evidence points to a profound sense in Christian tradition of the fact that the physical world 
is permeated with the divine awe. As Gerard Manley Hopkins famously says, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. This is the idea of the sacramental. It's very key to especially Catholic thought. All good things in our material existence are portals to divine presence. Maybe that's one way of understanding sacramentality. Sacramentality is found in various ways in tradition. The Eucharist, baptism, marriage, prayer using icons, stained glass windows in the cathedrals and so on. Even the church itself, the body of Christ as Paul calls it, is taken as being something sacramental. The early Christians, following the example of Jesus, saw the ministry of healing as vital and the ministry of eating together as essential to the life of community. And Christendom has made some of the best contributions to the world in setting up things like hospitals and universities and schools, among other things, to care for the mental and bodily needs of people. All of this means, essentially, that human physicality is highly prized by the Christian tradition, or the best of the Christian tradition. Although this is not to say that the relationship between spirit and flesh has always been entirely seamless. Uh, but for clarification, when Paul, the writer in the New Testament, talks about flesh being wicked, he is, he is talking not about the importance of becoming a disembodied Gnostic and thus abandoning the body, but rather he is talking about the tragedy of detaching spiritual significance from embodied existence. His critique of the flesh is more like a critique of a failure to recognize the sacramental so in this sense, Paul's critique would be, would you know, be leveled at something like Marxism, which reads history as entirely material. Uh, it's a materialist conception of history, dialectical materialism, and this is it's really a denial of all sorts of other aspects of our humanity. So flesh in Paul's writings is not the body, but more like the refusal to acknowledge what the body is in actual reality. We should remember that the ancient Jews, who'd, whose hold on the early Christians was very strong, because remember that early Christianity was essentially a Jewish uh, cult, in a way, the ancient Jews had a prayer for pretty much every activity. Every embodied activity became a celebration of, of the presence of God. So, it's all very embodied, which is pretty much the crux of what I'm saying here. But the core of the first question I haven't really gotten to, which is, why not a developed system of breathing and posture? So let's start with posture. Well, there is no, let's say, formal system of posture. But it seems that the biblical writers, and many in the tradition afterwards, have been more than aware of the need for paying attention to posture when it came or comes to prayer. In biblical accounts of prayer, you find a range of postures described. Abraham fell on his face before God. This is in Genesis 17, verse 3 and 17. Moses prayed with his hands outstretched. And that's in Exodus 9. King Solomon knelt in prayer. If you have a look at 1 Kings 8, you'll see that Jesus prayed looking up to heaven. You'll find examples of this in Mark chapter 6 and John chapters 11 and 17. And each of these postures signify different things. Lying face down before God was considered the right response to a crisis, for instance, or in a crisis. Um, and you see examples of that in Numbers 20 and Joshua 7. And kneeling was thought to be a posture of humility, as you find in Psalm 95 and Philippians 2. 
looking up while praying would be a sign of confidence and of intimate connection to God, as you find in John 11 and 17. So that's posture. There does seem to be a stress in a lot of the biblical accounts on on being mindful of your posture while praying. But I guess the, the kind of posture that my questioner is talking about is, you know, sitting up straight and, and uh, making sure that you are breathing easily. So I guess that raises the question of, is there anything in the Christian tradition that deals with good breathing? Well, again, it seems that a more formal system regarding breathing isn't really part of the picture, but breathing and prayer often go together in the tradition. The most well-known example of this is something called breath prayer, which was developed by the Eastern Christian hesychastic tradition. I have probably butchered that word. And as Gregory of Sinai says, one's love of God should run before breathing. You can learn more about this in Richard Foster's amazing book, Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. Other early Christians like St. John Climacus also insist on making use of breath in prayer, although, and I guess this is kind of key, the directives on how precisely to do this aren't ever exactly, from what I can tell, formalized. It's very likely that in the earlier years, um, you would have a system of mentorship, so people would actually just show their disciples how this worked, but it was never written down in a kind of formalistic way. So the issue here is this issue of, of something more systematic, like what you do find in, say, the Hindu tradition. It seems to me that Christians have, along the lines of prayerful meditation, always tended to be somewhat flexible. There's a sense in which breathing and posture are important, but no strict rules to say exactly how to approach these things. And this has meant that throughout the centuries, Christians have found various ways to approach prayer and meditation. Brother Lawrence famously offered the practice of the presence of God. There's a wonderful little book by Brother Lawrence called Practicing the Presence of God. It's a really good primer on his approach to, to living prayerfully, I guess. And this echoes many of the approaches of Christians from the contemplative traditions. And Madame Guillaume has developed the simple and easy method of prayer, which considers posture to some degree. The Ignatian prayer of examen and centering prayer both make use of some sense of bodily awareness. I'll get to my own approach to meditation in a bit. Well, at least my main approach, because I have made use of various approaches, but I'm going to talk about the the main things that have helped me. But first I want to get to that question of whether it is in fact a problem that the Christian tradition has no formal approach to such things, to, to say breathing and posture, even if it insists time and again on, on a general awareness of such things. Well, this kind of gets to the idea that the word Christian makes for a decent noun, but not generally a good adjective, although there are going to obviously be exceptions to this rule. The real failure would be more along the lines of failing to recognize God's goodness in the world and then failing to live in accordance with that goodness. Seek God everywhere is something that the Jesuits teach, and I just think that's a beautiful mantra to to kind of keep in mind. From my own point of view, the failure of any tradition to originate something cannot necessarily be regarded automatically as a failure of that tradition. Christianity hasn't developed, to my knowledge, a 
decent fitness regime along the lines of something like athletics, although Paul mentions athletics in a positive light. But this doesn't mean that you and your friends shouldn't start a running club. You are very welcome to do that. Uh, from the point of view of Christianity, just being alive is good. Being as such is good, as Aquinas says, and as I am um, tempted to repeat endlessly. So in some ways, your entire embodied existence now becomes a spiritual practice. Uh, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10. So maybe this doesn't precisely resolve all the issues raised in the question, but it at least offers some kind of a sense of how I would frame the issue. As you can see, my general approach to answering questions tends to be that I complicate them first and then try and unpack those complications in a way that, well, it makes sense to me and I can only hope that it makes some sense to you. Uh, but now for the second question, which moves into the personal and the practical issue of how to meditate or how specifically I meditate. And I like this question. Thank you, by the way, for framing it as a personal question, because this spares me needing to talk about what works in general versus what has been good for me. There has been a lot of trial and error in finding specific practices that help me uh, with meditative prayer. And I would expect that most people will need to get stuck on more than one occasion, as I have, before they find something that works for them. There are various ways of meditating that I've learned from. So what I'm offering here is something of a hybrid uh, between Jean Guion's method from the 1600s, which I get from her lovely little book, Union with God, and Centering Prayer, which is taught by various people, but I've learned quite a lot about this from C Cynthia Bourgeau's work. You can see videos um, that she's done online, and and she's also, she's also got... Um, a a few blog posts out there as far as I can remember, but I've actually read her book on the heart of centering prayer. In all meditation, I think a very simple principle applies. However you end up praying or meditating, it needs to be simple. There are all kinds of technologies and phone apps available now, and there are bells to chime you in and out of your meditative state and ways to mark your progress and very, very many books. And the basic desire to meditate can get clouded by all kinds of marketable methods and a lot of reading up on meditation can actually get in the way of meditating. So I think um, this misses the point. One of the things to stress here is that the categories of well or badly do not apply to meditating. Um, you don't meditate well. You meditate or you don't. So it's basically about showing up. So if you are like, and, and I, I know some of you might be prone to doing this, if you are, quote, measuring your progress, stop that. <laughs> the basic idea of Christian meditation is to withdraw from the senses and the world of external objects and turn inward. This may feel like a very paradoxical thing when it comes to, it may feel like you're in some sense disembodying yourself, but as you will experience if you meditate, you actually become even more aware somehow of your own body. Uh, Madame Guillaume points out that God has the virtue of magnetic attraction, and really, God wants to draw near to you. The trouble is basically that our attention gets is everywhere all the time on all the things that we need to do, and so we need to withdraw into ourselves so that we allow God's magnetic attraction to actually draw us towards him. 
meditation really is is just yielding your whole being to God's divine love. And this means that you need to be exerting as little effort as possible to do something like attaining enlightenment. Um, also, so that's, again, it's, this is not about striving. This is, the, in a way, the opposite of striving. So here's a quick breakdown of, of how I, I go about it. And I'm going to sort of, I'll go through this as a kind of step-by-step thing that you can use. So find a quiet spot, just a place you can be alone and sit comfortably in whichever position works for you. You don't have to put pressure on yourself to sit like the Buddha or like a contortionist. And then close your eyes and turn inward. It helps to, in this moment, adopt a kind of general posture of openness You are not at the center of the universe in this, but you're open to the wonder of the invisible origin of all that is. Key to centering prayer is that it fixes on intention, not attention. Intention is the key here. I think this is very different from Buddhist meditation in the sense that Buddhist meditation focuses on attention, paying attention to your breathing. Well, this is about intention. The intention is to be present to and open to God. So you will watch your thoughts go by, as is very typical in in meditative practice, and your job is to notice that they are there, but then let them go. So um, you'll be tempted to go right up to those thoughts as if they're friends you haven't seen for a while, and then you'll want to have a conversation with those thoughts. But the idea is to stand back and watch them pass. If the gravitational pull of the thought is too strong, because the gravitational pull of thoughts can be incredibly strong, it helps to have a mantra or a word that helps you to focus back on this intention uh, to be open to God. So you can use whatever word. It can be a little short phrase. The word can just be God or Abba or Jesus or Mary or reality. Um, So you might even want to, to use a phrase like the love of Christ. Just pick one, that's a good way to go for centering prayer. And don't fuss with getting the right word. The word is supposed to anchor your intention to remain open and and unattached, not to inspire you to think like a philosopher or get into theological debate. And then the idea is to do this for 10 to 20 minutes a day. I know there are lots of people who, who will put pressure on you, it must be 20 minutes or it must be, well, I, I understand how crazy life can be. 20 minutes is kind of like the, the gold standard, but if you can only do it for 10, that's fine. You don't need to go into huge meditation marathons. And then here's a really interesting thing. What happens if Jesus shows up, like a vision of Jesus shows up while you're meditating? Well, <laughs> in that moment, your job is to be busy with centering prayer. So you, you notice the thought and you let it go. You basically, you're saying, not now, Jesus, I'm busy with my centering prayer. The same as you would tell any thought about work or life, just not to bother you. Stay unattached and keep moving inward. To help you let go, get back to the word you've settled on, which is a symbol of your intention to consent to the presence and action of God within you. As thoughts and more thoughts arrive, You just keep letting them go, letting each one go until you're done with your centering prayer. And then 
you let go of your centering prayer in the same way and you get on with whatever you need to do next. So to be honest, I am not always the world's most diligent meditator and I've started to recognize this. So there is another practice that I've adopted as a complement to this this one. It's kind of like centering prayer at any time that you remember, <laughs> more or less. I try to do this even when I'm busy with work or with other people. Um, and in fact, I can do it right now. I'll get into the groove and do it right now. So I've learned this from the late, wonderful Jesuit priest, Anthony DeMello. Um, his talks on awareness are just wonderful. And you can watch them online. He's a marvelous storyteller as well. The practice is similar to centering prayer because it's about withdrawing from the world of objects and recognizing the gravitational pull of an intention to be open to God even when you're busy. But it involves withdrawing your consciousness into yourself and watching yourself from that inner vantage point. It can be a very strange thing to do at first because you suddenly recognize a distinction between your I, or your capital S self in a way, and your me, which is that person you keep on referring to rather incorrectly as I. When you say, for example, I am depressed, you're not actually saying the right thing. It would be better to say, depression is in me. You are not your depression. Well, that's just an example. Anyway, when you observe the me, when you're... <laughs> I know this is going to sound really weird, but but you should do it. Um, when you observe the me, when your I observes the me part of you, you start to notice that your consciousness is actually able to watch the world in an unattached way without any egotism whatsoever. What is happening is happening, and what you are doing, you are doing. It's a good thing to do this as often as you remember to. It's quite an amazing thing. You can retreat into yourself, and your intention is to develop a kind of awareness and an openness to, to the presence of God in the world, and you do this by detaching from the me part of you. What's interesting about this is that it is, in a way, something that can feel at first like an out-of-body experience. But at the same time, you begin to become more aware of your body. You can locate precise sensations without over-identifying with your body, which I think is pretty cool. So there you go. That's my main uh, sort of very brief guide to to how I uh, meditate and I think it could be useful to you. I have to be honest, I, I know that some, there are times where I'm not in a good space and I find this these sort of practices uh, very, very difficult. So I have actually even uh, discovered that going for a walk is, is very helpful or just uh, sitting down at, at the piano and, and playing a few and just letting the music guide me instead of trying to control what the music uh, does that it's actually an amazing thing to be able to do to let go each note becomes the thought that you're letting go as if you're in a, in a state of of centering prayer so i mean if you're not a musician that then that probably is not going to work for you because sitting down at the piano uh, will just sound like a noise now, that's more distracting than actually helpful and that is all I have to say in this Q&A episode. I'm just getting started with these Q&A um, episodes. So I really hope they're kind of holding together in some way. This is just episode two. I'll probably get better at, at, at doing this as I go along. Well, I would hope I do and not get worse, which is always, I guess, a, a possibility. Until next time, 
Thank you very much for listening in. As always, I really appreciate you uh, for your your willingness to to stick with me and to uh, to hear what I have to say. Take care, everyone. Cheers.